Listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsea's Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225 274 1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We love you. God, you're absolutely incredible. And God, we're so excited as we continue through our series of this month, The Vow, and talking about the extravagant love of God tonight, just the greatness of God's love and for each one of us. God, we're so thankful for that. And God, we're so appreciative. And God, we pray that you would speak into our hearts, that you would speak into our lives, and that you would touch us tonight in Jesus' name. Come on, shout amen in the house. You know, it really the plan was for the whole of this month, we were going to be talking every Wednesday night on the subject of extravagant, talking about the love that God has for us. But we've kind of changed midstream with that, and we're going to do some different things. I'm really excited. Next Wednesday, going to be two incredible breakout sessions. We're going to be talking about the gears of relationship for those who are single. We're just Kelly and I are going to be sharing our hearts and just answering any questions and having discussions. Mum and Dad are going to be sharing for us or the married couples next Wednesday night on 45 years plus. 45 years plus. That doesn't mean if you're 45 years and older. That means married 45 years plus. On the 28th of this month, that will be their 45th wedding anniversary. And they are still as much in love. I guess they're as much in love. I can't remember when they first got married, but they're still as much in love, if not more in love, than I've ever remembered in my life. And I just think there's words of wisdom and wealth that they can do. And then the following week... We're going to be doing some breakout sessions too, and and it's just going to be a great, great month. We don't want you to miss anything that's going on because your life is going to be changed. So just all good stuff. Come on, say with me, extravagant. 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 One thing, there's a lot of things that we can question in life, and there's a lot of things that we can look at. But I really believe, let's go on the record of saying this tonight, And that is this, we should never come to a place where we question the love of God. We should never, oh, the enemy wants us to, but we should never in our lives allow the enemy to make us question whether God loves us or not. Because I'm telling you right now, and we're going to discover tonight, that God more than loves you. God more than loves you. And the Bible actually is full of scriptures that demonstrates this, and we could pull out so many, but really, Genesis to Revelation, the whole book talks about the love and the grace and the mercy that he has to us. But let's look at a couple of good scriptures. Are you ready? Romans 5, verse 8 is a good place to start, and it says this, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners. Come on, you should be shouting amen. 
Come on, not when we were perfect and we had it all together. Come on, anyone perfect right now? No, because this verse is still applicable to each one of us. But God demonstrates His love towards us that while we were still sinners, He died for us. No greater demonstration of love was when Jesus gave His life. Listen to what the Message Bible says. I love it. God put His love on the line for us. By offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. (laughs) Doesn't that sound it up many times? We were of no use whatsoever in our former state. But God saw something in us that we didn't even realize. And his love reached out and reached down to each one of us. What about this one? Are you ready? John 3.16. Never get tired of reading this one. And we're going to follow it up with verse 17. That's a good one too. John 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Come on, He loved us so much that He gave the best. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Not to condemn, but to save. Why? Because He so loved. He doesn't just love. He so loves. And He so loved us that He brought about the freedom that each one of us can experience in our life. So the question tonight should never be, does God love me? But unfortunately, here's the question. How much do we love Him? Where's our commitment? Where's our love? Where's our faithfulness? To, because that is a different story. So many times. Look how Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 8 and 9. Jesus said it this way. He said these words, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain worship, or in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, that's the wrong scripture right there, if you could just change that. And in vain worship, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What does Jesus say? There's a lot of people out there that are giving me the right words, but there's not the right actions that follow it up. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many knows some people like that. Maybe that person's looking back at you in the mirror each and every day. Because it's easy to give lip service, but what does Jesus say? Oh, there's a lot of people who are confessing. Jesus even went on to say, there's a lot of people going to say, we cast out devils, we did this and that. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. I was never in relationship. I loved you, but you didn't love me. There was that... There was a hindrance there on your side, not mine, Jesus is saying, because I love the world. Love everyone. But what? There was a hindrance on yours. So people draw near to me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. You may argue, well, hold on a second. The Bible says this in Matthew 12, verse 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So therefore, 
If I'm speaking the words of Jesus, it's got to be because I have a heart of Jesus. How many knows that you can speak about Jesus, but he's not necessarily always in your heart? Because what a lot of people speak about is this. They speak about God for their own gain. Come on. They speak about God for their own gain, that they know when to turn it on and be spiritual to impress other people or when they need something. But God is not fooled by those things because he looks at the heart. And really, if you want to know what's coming out of people's mouth, if it's from a sincere, real heart, just hang around for a few minutes. Because actions speak louder than words. And so God wants us to have a heart that is so in love and so in tune with Him. So how did God show His love to us? How does He show His love for each one of us? And I truly want us to think about that and talk about that for a few minutes tonight because you've got to realize this. God did not send an angel. Gabriel came to Mary. He made an announcement. He made the preparation, but an angel did not come in the place of God. And he couldn't. An angel could not have come in the place of God. God didn't send someone else. Well, hold on a second, Pastor Philip. The Bible is full of scriptures of men and women used by God. Yes, used by God, chosen by God, appointed by God, but none could be our Redeemer. None could be our redeemer. What? To purchase us back from the clutches of Satan. Come on. He didn't send a superhero for us. Come on. Spider-Man. Wonder Woman. Superman. They didn't come. They can't help us. But he sent the best he could. He willingly chose to send his son. And he came himself for us. Why? Because what it needed to redeem each one of us was a perfect sacrifice. A spotless lamb. Someone who knew no sin that could become our sin, who could become the substitute for us. That could take our sin, our failures upon him. And that would go to the cross and die. But not in shame, but he died in great victory. Because he rose again. And he conquered death and hell for each and every one of us. I like what Jensen Franklin says. The devil's in so much trouble, he doesn't even have the keys to his own house. Come on. You want to know how much trouble the devil's in? He doesn't even have the keys to his own house. Because when Jesus died, he said, give me those keys. Come on. Give me those things. You ain't in control anymore. Come on. I'm in control. I'm taking back everything that you've stolen and you've taken. Why? Because he came for us. I don't know if any of you have seen The Passion movie and The Passion of Christ and it's a phenomenal movie and if you haven't seen that movie I recommend you to see it but put the popcorn down. It's not one of those pop the popcorn and sit down and eat movies. It's a very moving movie but if you've watched it there are so many powerful moments throughout that whole movie but I must admit the most powerful and most impactful moment for me is on Calvary when Jesus has been led up that hill with a cross on his back. And he's thrown to the floor and the cross is laying on the dirt beside him. And in the image of the picture of the movie, here's what you see Jesus do. You don't see Jesus fight those around you, around him. But yet you see him crawl 
and lay on the cross. Anyone remember that part of the movie? So impacted me, so changed me. And you may say, well, that's just Hollywood. No, that's love. Come on, that's not Hollywood. That's love. That's not just love. That's extravagant love. Because John 15, 13 tells us, greater love has no man than this than to what? Willingly lay down his life for his friends. Man did not take his life. Come on. He freely gave. It wasn't nails that held Jesus to a cross. It was his love that he has for you and I that he was willing to lay down. What an extravagant love that reaches back, that reaches forward into each and every one of our lives. Jesus didn't meet us halfway. He went the whole way. And He gave it all, 100%. And now what does He look for from us? He now demands the same from each one of us. Come on, He demands the same from each one of us. And let's stop and think about that for a moment. I know even in my life when I read some things and I hear the word demand and command, it can kind of get you kind of up in arms just a little bit. That you can begin to say, man, who do you think you are telling me what I need to do? Have you ever noticed how the flesh man wants to come up when, hey, well, I just want to choose what I want to do, how I do it. But you've got to understand this. Jesus many times in the scripture says, I demand that you do this and I command that you do this. And I want to challenge you with this homework. Are you ready? Here's some homework for each one of you. I want you to go through the Word of God and begin to read through the Word of God. And when you come to a place where there's a command or a demand from Jesus or something of a similar nature, I want you to look at it in greater depth. Because here's the reason why. You need to discover what it is he's commanding and demanding, what he is asking from your life. What is it talking about? What is it asking for you? And then ask yourself this question. Are you ready? How will my life or how important is that for my life and future? Because the flesh man wants to turn around and say, man, I'm just going to make my own choices. But if there's ever a command or something Jesus says you must do, oh, the flesh doesn't like it. But there's a reason why. Because the flesh is in war to the spirit. And the Bible says which one you feed, which one you obey, which one you follow is going to be the one that's ruling your life. And the enemy wants nothing more than for every command and demand and things that Jesus says, I would that you would do. He wants you to question those and say, man, I'll just pick and choose. But I want you to look at those things and ask yourself, how important is that for my life and future? If I want to see success, if I want to see blessing, if I want to see future for my life, do I need, does that have to be present in my life? And I am telling you right now, I'm spoiling it for you already, but I'm going to tell you this. Every time you come across that, the conclusion that you should come to is this, that it's vital for your life. That it's vital. 
So when we say God demands that same 100% from us, it's not because he's this ogre up in heaven that he wants to mislead us or abuse us or, or just misuse us. It's because he knows the importance of what it will bring to our lives when we totally surrender and give our lives to him. Because in his vocabulary, it goes like this, you're either hot or cold. Come on, you're either all or nothing. Well, what about a little bit lukewarm? He says, you're vomit in my mouth. He says, I would rather you be, what, hot. But listen, if you're going to be cold, come on, watch out because I can't stand that which is in between. Why would he demand that from us? Because he knows the rewards that a surrendered life will bring to your life. You will never be The same again. So in other words, if it's vital, are you ready? It means your life depends on it. Come on, it's vital. And if it's vital, then it means it's fatal not to follow those things. Your life depends on those things. And there there are some things. Let's, Let's just clarify that. There are some things in God's Word. There are some things that, 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 you know, that we can base our way we respond to those things and there may be suggestions and maybe more interpretation you know that we can interpret different things we may look at things and say well I feel that's slightly different and all those things but that's okay if we're doing that on the things that are negotiable but you would watch that when he says I command and demand those things are non-negotiable for your life And you better make sure that the things that are non-negotiable for your salvation, for your well-being and for your future, that you're following exactly what Jesus says and not trying to go your own pathway. Because you can negotiate what day is the Sabbath and what's about this. But I'm telling you one thing you need to not negotiate, and that is this, the fact that you need to be in the house of God, I'm telling you. And so you need to look at all those kind of things. Because his demands and commands display, I believe, the greatest extent of his love. When Jesus is telling us, you need to do this, it's because he knows how much you need to do that. And we can look again and say, man, and our flesh can rise up and say, that's not love. I mean, come on, I'm my own man. I'm my own person. I can do what I want to do when I want to do. Well, let's use this analogy. We've used it before. You've got a hot stove in the kitchen and your kid comes by. Is it love to warn them or is it love to let them burn themselves and say, hey, they'll soon find out. They won't touch it again. Come on, what is love? To let them hurt themselves, to prove a point that, oh, you won't do that again, will you? What is love? Come on, if you're in the kitchen and you're not close to them, you know what you're going to be doing. You don't care who else is around. You are going to be screaming at the top of your lungs. What? Stop. Oh, but that's not very loving. Oh, really? I think that's great love. Come on, I said I think that's great love. So when Jesus is screaming something, demanding something, requiring something, commanding something, it's because he's trying to stop you from harming your life, from doing things and going places and involving your life in things that are going to be hurtful, harmful, detrimental, and maybe even fatal for your future. That's love. Come on, I said, that's love. So we've got to be watched. We've got to watch because he loves us, but are we really loving him? And so many times we can rebel instead of obey. 
And God wants obedience in each one of our lives because obedience is saying, God, I want your way and I want to live for you and I want to serve you. You know, as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of a story in Scripture of someone who rebelled against God. Anyone think of someone in Scripture who rebelled against God? Anyone shout at that? A lot of people, Jonah, all those good. What about Saul? Anyone remember King Saul? He was the first king. Let me lay the picture, if I could, about Saul, and that is this. From the beginning, I really believe that Saul was one of those people that needed to fully rely and trust on God. We all should, but he, from what I take from Scripture to begin with, he wasn't the most confident person in who he was. Because when he was anointed king and it was time for the prophet to announce him as the king, they shouted his name and he couldn't be found. And the prophet had to shout his name again and finally someone said, hey, he's in baggage claim. Come on, read it for yourself. He was hiding in the bags. He was hiding in the supplies. He was hiding out. Here's the big announcement. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll. The king of Israel. Let's do it again. Well, where is he? There's your king. What? The first image that people have of a king is someone who is hiding amongst baggage. Hiding away. Even though he possessed the goods on the outside. Come on, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a handsome man. He was good looking. He was favored by people around. There must have been something lacking on the inside of him. Just that confidence and that ability that he needed. But God's spirit came upon him. And a lot of times we give Saul a bad rap, but he took a kingdom that had no king. And he made it a kingdom. He built an army. He instituted laws. He set into place many things. He did many wonderful, wonderful things as God led him and God was with him and strengthened him and used him. But one day God gave him a specific command and that command was to kill all the people of all the Amalekites. God said, I want you to wipe them off totally from the face of this earth. I don't want you to leave one of them left. But he rebels and doesn't do it. And then he blames his men when he's challenged by the prophet of God. And this isn't the first problem he has had obeying because he's already been told by the prophet not to sacrifice. And when the prophet doesn't show up, he wants to be the prophet and sacrifice. He has a problem with fully obeying, fully complying, really trusting God with his life and his future. And look what it says in 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 19. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribe of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel? Now the Lord has sent you on a mission, is what it says in verse 18. In verse 19, the first part, it says this, Why then did you not obey? Do you see what God has just said to him? God has said this, when you were nothing, And you were small in your own eyes. I anointed you. You became the king. You became the leader. In other words, God says, it's never been about you, but it's always been about me. 
But notice somewhere in Saul, as a confidence comes to him and people begin to sing about his greatness and people begin to worship him and people begin to bow down to him, there's a shift that must have taken place in Saul because God is reminding him of where you used to be and the spirit that used to be in you. But now it's become more about you, you being the king, you being this, you being that, that you've forgotten the power that God placed inside of you. That God was reminding him, remember how you were? But God is now showing him who he was right now. And there had been a shift in Saul's life that now it became more about him and what he wanted. Instead of obeying God and living for him. Oh, we don't question the love of God, but we question our motives. We question our heart. We question where we are. God's done wonderful things for each and every one of us, but I wonder if we've been elevated in our own eyes. And we're allowed in pride, and we're allowing all these things to come, because I'm telling you, God resists the pride. Pride precedes what? A fall. It's not good. So we've got to watch. So Saul is challenged, because I'm telling you this right now, that kind of spirit is going to get us in trouble every time. Because when we live with our lives out of whack and he's no longer the number one in our lives. In Revelations, I haven't got this scripture, but read it. Jesus says these words, I believe, in Revelations 3. He says, I see everything you do. I see the works. You're generous and you're helping and you're lending and you're not allowing false people to come in and you're standing up against them and you're doing all the things in the natural that look good. But he says, hold on a second, I have one thing against you. Come on, you've left your first love. It's become more about what you do instead of who you serve. Come on now. Uh, uh, Our lives can become more about the religion of what we do. Reading my Bible and and I'm praying. Well, God's got to be impressed with that. But remember, God's looking at the heart. Why are you doing? What's the motive? What is it? Oh, I'm just doing this. Listen, we've got to be so careful because we can so easily be God's anointed like Saul. But yet leave our first love. And yet refuse to obey but say, I'm going to do life my way. And I'm going to do things according to my life. So what were we talking about before Saul? And trust me, I haven't gone in a tangent there. I'm not going off base there because I want to show you that how easy, anointed by God, king of God, how easily someone in that position can so easily fall from grace. That can make them fall from that place. Oh, God still loves them. But that love that is back towards God now has been replaced with so many other things that God's now an afterthought instead of totally our heart and our passion and our desires. Because we were talking, remember, about when God demands things from us and when God expects things for us. Why? Because he knows better. But the problem is we think we know better. Have you ever thought about God's best and our best and what we think's better and what's his better? 
Look at what you think is better for your life. I mean, really look. You see, the problem we have is we convince ourselves with our minds that it still could change or things could still happen. But really look at the reality of what your better is, what your choices and your decisions are. I mean, just be real with yourself and see that your marriage is a wreck. Just see that your kids are out of control. See that your finances are screwed up. See that you're not sleeping at night. See that you're not having peace and your relationship is not where you need to be. I mean, just really look. Don't keep saying, well, things are going to change. Look at where you're at right now because of the fact you're choosing to do life your own way. You're choosing to elevate yourself instead of humbling yourself before God and receiving His love and His grace and mercy that will change your life. Look at this scripture from Exodus 34, verse 14, from the New Living Translation. It reads like this Are you ready? It says, You must worship no other gods but only the Lord. Listen, for he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Isn't that beautiful? Let me read that again. You must worship no other gods but only the Lord, for he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. With you. Come on, he's a God that is passionate about. I love that. Did you hear that tonight? Come on, he is passionate, meaning what? He is full of passion. He has so much desire for you and towards you. Literally, his priority is you. To love you. He is full of desire to be in relationship with you. In other words, he wants you. He wants you. And here's the funny part. Are you ready? We think we found him. Come on, how many times do we say, man, I found Jesus? <laughs> oh, praise God, I found Jesus. I want to tell you something today. Jesus was never lost, amen? Jesus was never lost. You were. He found You, come on, that's his extravagant love that he is so passionate that he's just waiting for you just to make that turn towards him. He's right there because that's how passionate he is to be in relationship with you. Have you ever read the Song of Solomon? Anyone ever read the Song of Solomon? Come on, that's some R-rated stuff going on there. I mean, that's not even some PG-13 some stuff. That's, that's some stuff in there that's going to make you blush. You've got to watch. I mean, don't read that with your kids before they go to bed. If you're reading through the Bible in a year, skip Song of Solomon because you're going to have to be answering some questions about breasts like towers and, and just all those kind of things. There's some stuff in the Song of Solomon. But you know what? As you begin to look at it, it describes a relationship between a woman and a man. It describes a relationship between a man and literally a wife, but it's more than that. It's meant to show the passion that God has and the love that He has for each one of us. And it's a love story. It's Romeo and Juliet on steroids. I mean, read it. You know, it's, but it shows the love that God has For each one of us, the desire that he has for just an intimacy of relationship. And I was going to read it tonight, but just read some of it when you get home. For the sake of time, I'm not going to do that, but read it. But it's amazing that even with the words of the passion that you read in that, and the longing and the desire and and everything that is in that, it still doesn't even come close to the passion and the desire that God has And his love, his extravagant love that he has and the desire that he has 
to be in relationship with you. And since through this month we are talking about love, but we are also are talking about marriage, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about families. Let me show you this too. Is that okay? You ready? Let me show you this. The love that God demands from us also needs to be present in our marriages. That is, if we want a marriage that's going to go the distance, that's going to keep the vow, that's going to be forever together, you've got to realize that the same way God desires for us to be 100% in love with Him, He's asking for us to do the same thing to our spouse. To be prepared that when we get a spouse, to be able to give everything to them. And one of the most important ways we show wholeheartedly that we love God the Bible says is to love others as he has loved us. Look what it says again, John 15, but this time 12 and 13. It says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Notice what he's saying, you love one another as what? I have, as I have modeled, as I have forgiven and given grace and mercy and everything that's gone with my love. He now says, I want you to give that love, that extravagant love to other people. Oh, Pastor Philip, they've hurt me. God says what? Love them. You've got to love them and give them that love. And it goes on to say again, verse 13, greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. And it's our responsibility to love, talking about our spouse. It's our responsibility to love them over and over again, day after day. To give love without looking to return. If you would read 1 Corinthians 13, we're not going there tonight, but it's called the love chapter. One thing you'll discover about 1 Corinthians 13 is this. Love is all about giving. Love is not about getting, it's all about giving. And you may turn around and say, well, what about me? If it's all about giving, then what about me? Well, here's the thought. Two people giving each other. Come on, what they need. If you're not getting what you need, then maybe you need to give what they need. Come on now, it's gone quiet in here. But I'm telling you right now, we want to have a chalkboard out and we want to tally up and, oh, you don't deserve it because you've done this and that. Listen, throw the chalkboard off. Stop keeping score because the truth is this. God says, love others as I have loved you. Come on. So if you want to keep a score, keep a score of how much he's loved you and forgiven you and what grace and mercy he's poured out to you. You keep that score and then see where you go on the opposite side. But you see, we don't give our spouse, we don't give those around us what they deserve. We give them what they need. Because when we give them what they need and we push beyond the disappointments and the hurts and the harsh words, and we push beyond that, but yet we see them as Christ. And we give unto Christ. And we give them what they need, not deserve. Guess what happens? It unlocks their heart. And then they'll begin to give back to us what we need. Come on, if you haven't got what you need in your relationship, you start giving what they need. You start giving. Well, Pastor Philip, I've been doing that and that hasn't worked yet. Well, listen, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep being what God has called you to be. And I'm telling you, God's going to turn it around in favor, in your favor, in your good, because that's scriptural. That's what we need to do. You see, part of our lives selling out to God 
also involves us selling out to our spouse. And it's worrying less about what they give to us and considering more about what we give to them. We need to be given our all. Yes, it has to be God first, but then it's two people giving each other 100%. So how do we respond to his extravagant love? How did he demonstrate he gave his son? How do we respond to his love? We're going to slightly recap from Sunday and and just make sure you are listening. We're going to add another point. Are you ready? Number one, give you four points of how do we respond to his extravagant love. Number one, we've got to accept it. You just got to accept it. But why could God love me? You just got to accept the fact that God loves you. But Pastor Philip, you don't realize I've done this. God knows. God knows all those things and he still chooses to love you. Romans 6.23, we know the scripture, for the wages of sin is death. Meaning what? We can never make it in our own. There's nothing that we can do to earn. Because why? Because he has freely given. But the gift of God, his gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is his gift? Love, forgiveness, a new hope, a new beginning. No, we don't deserve it. But aren't you glad he just gives it to us anyway? So how else do we respond to the extravagant love? Are you ready? Point number two, realizing that order matters. Realizing that order matters. The right order makes all the difference in the world. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Come on, say with me, all these things. All these things will be added to your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, his way of doing things. And your life will be totally blessed. You know, the reality is this. There's some things that we can do different. You know, when you put your trousers on in the morning, maybe you put your left leg in first and maybe you put your right leg in first. Maybe you put your socks on before you put your trousers on or you put your socks on last. Maybe when you brush your teeth, you start on the top ones and then you go to the bottom ones because I'm brushing my teeth on the top. Anyone like Barney? But I'll never let the water run. Oh, oh. We've got that going in our house. You know, we can do different things. When we brush our hair, we may use our right hand or we may do this. Or maybe you don't brush your hair like me. And when you wake up in the morning, you're just good to go. The messier, the better. We're ready to go. It's cool. There's a lot of things in life that we can do differently. But I'm telling you, not when it comes to God. Because order matters. And God must be first. So what do we do? How do we respond to extravagant love? Number one, we accept it. Number two, we realize order matters. And number three, we place Jesus as our number one. It's not up for debate. He's, he's not moving anywhere. He, he's the number one. He is everything. We live by the numbers. Remember from Sunday and not the stats. That scripture in Matthew 22, verse 36 and verse 39 says, when that man came to him and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? I, I want to live by the greatest thing. Jesus said to him, what? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. What does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when he's in his rightful place, we can move beyond the first and greatest commandment. And start successfully living out the second priority, and that is loving other people. You see, because of his love towards us, we then learn how to love other people. And God puts a love in our hearts 
for those people. Maybe today you don't have a deep love for your spouse anymore. You don't have a deep love for your family. You don't have... Listen, put Jesus as number one. Seek him with all your life and watch as he gives you a new love, a new compassion, a new grace and a new mercy for them. Point number four, you ready? You have to receive his love before you can give it. You've got to receive it before you can give it. First John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. Without experiencing the purity of a love relationship with God, we cannot share that same kind of love with another person. You know, we're talking about extravagant love, the extravagant love of Jesus. I looked up extravagant in the dictionary. Here's the first definition. You ready? Spending carelessly and lavishly, wasteful. Oh, we can read something like that and go, oh, that's terrible. Wasteful, carelessly, lavishly. Maybe if you're thinking about throwing money away, but think about it when God's throwing his love on you. Come on, isn't that beautiful that he just wastefully, there's no expense, he's just throwing it lavishly, he's just throwing it all on you, holding nothing back, sparing nothing. I think of the lady with the bottle of perfume. Remember when she came to the feet of Jesus and she broke that and she began with her tears to wash his feet and dry them with her hair. And even Jesus' disciples, those that knew better, they said, wow, what is all that waste? What is all that waste? And I love what Jesus said, paraphrase. Jesus said basically this, you know, Jesus said, you know what, what you have done probably everyone one day will never remember. But what she has done will be remembered for eternity. And it's true because we're talking about what she did today. And who do we want to be like in the story today? Do we want to be like the one who was complaining about the waste or do we want to be like the one who threw everything at the feet of Jesus? And you see, I love the picture that she broke the box. Why? Because we can take the lid off and pour out a little bit. But she broke the box, meaning what? Even if she wanted to bring it back, she couldn't because there was no way that she could return that which she had given to God. Man, that's extravagance. That's the love that I want. His love to me is not the question, but mine to him. Have I lavished my love on Jesus? Have I broke the box lately? Come on. Have you broke the box lately? And here's definition number two. You ready? I'm almost done. Beyond the bounds of reason. Isn't that cool? Extravagant. Beyond the bounds of reason. In other words, reason beyond thought. Beyond what you can imagine. You see, you can't find God with your head. You have to find God with your heart. The Bible says his thoughts, his ways, his plans, all those things. You know what the Bible says they are? They're way above us. They're way above us. And why is that? Is it like him dangling something? Remember what it was like? It's like if Stephen stood up. Stephen's a tall guy. Stephen could stand up and, and put something in the air. And unless I had a stepladder, I couldn't get it out of his hand. Have you ever remember what it was like when you're a kid and someone was dangling something over you and you're trying to jump and they just thought it was the funniest thing? That's not what God's doing when he says, my thoughts, my ways, everything, my plans are well above you. He's not saying to torture us. But you know why he is saying that? Because he wants to demonstrate to us the greatness that he has for each and every one of us. That he wants us not to be settled with where we're at, but strive for more in him. To give him more, to push for more, to believe for more. That we would long for more of God in our lives. 
Because his extravagant love is what? Unconditional. Come on, it's unconditional. Listen to the words of this song. A hymn writer wrote this song called The Love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and he pardoned from their sin. Chorus, O love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Listen to the last verse. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? And were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll, the sky, the whole sky contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forever more endure and be the saints and angels' song. Doesn't that say it all today? The extravagance of his love for us. But remember this. He asks us to love the same way. He demands us to love the same way. And you may say today, Pastor Philip, I can't love like that. I've been hurt. There's no way I can love like that. I'm telling you right now, God says you can. Come on, on, you say you can. You just got to do it. And you got to trust him. Aren't you glad tonight of the extravagant love of God? Come on, that's not up for question. We're the ones that are up for question. But come on, let's answer that question. As we said Sunday, let's not be the problem anymore. Let's be the answer. Because the answer is needed to solve a problem. And you know what the problem of this world is today? The lack of love. And God can use us to solve the problem in our marriages through love. God can solve in relationships with our children through love. God can help us in every area of our life. Why? By giving us a love that only He can give. And a grace that we will extend to those around in the same way he asks us or in the same way he gives to ask is that he asks of us to do the same listen you can't do that in your own strength but you sure can do that in the love of God amen would you stand to your feet today oh love of God how rich how pure how measureless and strong it shall forever more endure The saints, it be our song, an angel's song. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray for each and every one here. God, as we're talking about love and being the person and 
Just God, the vow this month and just everything that goes with that. God, I pray that you would so have challenged each one of our hearts today to not question your love, but to question our position. And God, where we are in relationship with you. Because God, so many times we rebel. God, we don't want to label it as rebellion. Because we just want to say, no, that's my thoughts and it's my way. But it's rebellion because if it's against his way, it's not obedience. There's no partial obedience. It's all or nothing. And God, I pray that we would be obedient to you, that we would live in your love, that we would give your love, that God, I pray for marriages, families, futures. God, that you would just turn them around as you would give each one of us such a love like you've loved us to love other people. God, your word says that love covers a multitude of sin. God, it's so easy to pick out and so easy to point the fingers and it's so easy to blame and it's so easy to find the faults. But God, I pray just like you, you look beyond our faults. You saw a need, you met our need, you provided for us in the same way. God, may we look beyond the faults of others and meet the need. And God, we meet that need through your love. God, give us love. God, help us to live extravagantly. God, that we would live wastefully, lavishly, God, as we pour out our love on you. That, God, it would go beyond the bounds of reason. God, beyond our minds, God, and it would have to be played out with our hearts. God, speak to us. Use us, God. Change us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.